Welcome to the Vertical Software Podcast. I'm your host, Sudan Siva, the head of corporate development of Vogue Software Group, where we buy and hold vertical market software companies across the world. In this podcast, we'll introduce you to owners and operators who run a vertical software business, talk about their story, how they view the market, and the trends that they see. Stay tuned for our next guest on the Vertical Software Podcast. All right. Hey, everyone. Very excited to have Adam Unger from Architect Systems on the podcast this week. Adam has been the president for the past eight plus years. He took over the business from his father, Ray, who founded the business back in 1987. And I feel very fortunate to pick Adam's brain today, understand his view of the world and and learn more about his story. So welcome, Adam. Hey, thank you for having me. Awesome. So Let's start things off. Let's learn a bit more about yourself and your background. How did you get to where you are today? Well, I, you know, I grew up, as you said, I'm second generation owner here at AccuTech. And so I grew up in the business. I've seen it grow from, uh, you know, a one man shop in our living room uh, to, to where we are today. And there was just always an, an interest uh, and an intrigue to, to being in the business. So about, about 20 years ago, I, I, I started working in the company in a capacity of, of marketing. And after 10 years there really decided, you know, I think there's something here. I, I really think that, that we could, could grow this and, and, and do something with, with some shifts in, in our strategy. Uh, and, and so that's when I took over as president and really started to, um, to make some of those, those changes uh, happen. Got it. Let, let's dive a bit deeper into that because I'm sure you're making it sound a lot easier than it actually was. So tell me more about the time kind of, you know, when you were learning the ropes of the business, obviously you were exposed to it practically, you know, since day one, how did you identify the opportunities to grow? And then how did you kind of make that shift internally um, to kind of take over the business, which I'm sure was no easy task. There's a huge legacy behind this business, obviously with, you know, you and your family's presence in the community. So just curious to dive deeper into that. How did that, how did that go? I think the the biggest thing that I learned growing up in the business is, is that passion and sacrifice are required for success, um, and that you know humility and leadership and and always looking for the good of others is is needs to be your priority uh, in business to be successful. Um, and so those were things that were ingrained in me uh, very early on, um, and that I witnessed through uh, how how the company was run in early stages. You know, I came in and, and was really exposed. I started out in marketing and that's always kind of been my passion as strategy and marketing, but I was able to be exposed to all of the areas of the business. And that really gave me an appreciation for all of the different things that need to happen for a company to be successful and, and really an understanding of how rare it is for a company to be successful and to last over 30 years. When I took over, I, I again I just saw this opportunity of the um, of where I thought this the wealth management industry was going. Our our niche had always been serving smaller community banks, and we were really known for our service and had a great reputation uh, in that regard. And what I saw was an opportunity to go beyond small banks and, and not just to be known for service. So the big shift when, when I uh, took over about uh, 10 years ago was to really focus our organization on product leadership. And that 
really came about by seeing that there was a void um, in, in the wealth management space and really keeping up with modern technology and, and thinking about what's going to make our clients successful in the future. And I really saw an opportunity for us to step into that space and be the product leader uh, in, in our industry. So we started working on a new product. We started, uh, we, we launched our, our new platform about four years later in, in the wealth industry. And it was, you know, one of the first modern browser-based uh, uh, systems uh, in, in the trust accounting space. And I got to tell you that that was uh, unique in, in our world. And, and it was met with some apprehension. And a lot of people told us, you know, trust departments aren't going to let you uh, have a platform in the cloud. Um, and so it, it took some time to get acceptance there. Uh, but it's just, you know, having that firm belief in what's right for your client to be successful, sometimes even when they don't know it yet. We would then were the first uh, to move to AWS to do our hosting and and to do a lot of you know DevOps uh, coding within our system, and we were told we were crazy. Trust departments won't ever let you Amazon host their their data. And I tell you again, it's just affirmed that when you have a belief in doing the right thing, you need to trust your gut and you need to trust where you see the future going and what you think will make your clients successful. Um, and so we did that in both those cases. And now uh, we talk to prospects and they say, okay, you're in the cloud, you're on AWS. Thanks. That, that's, that's all that we need <laughs> from those perspectives. And that used to be a battle that we fought, but uh, it's nice to be a trailblazer and that there's, you know, a certain amount of, uh, of, of excitement that you get when you are that trailblazer in your industry. Amazing. And, and curious to know, like, where does that instinct come from? How do you foster that, you know, not just within yourself, but within your team as well? I think part of it comes from, you know, your upbringing and, and how just, you know, values that are instilled in you as you grow up and just a belief that you don't always take what other people tell you as, as fact, you really need to find your own way. You need to, in our family, we believe that God gave us instincts and a gut for a reason and that, that we should believe in those. We, we need to have data and facts as well, but when you couple those things, at the end of the day, sometimes... Um, it's your instinct that that leads you to make good decisions. And, and I think that's where kind of that entrepreneurial spirit comes from because every entrepreneur has to make a decision. Somebody, I'm trying to do something that no one's done before. So there's no data that can really tell you that it's the right step. And, and sometimes it's just that instinct that this is, this is where you need to go. Now, as we've grown, we couple those instincts with a lot of client feedback and a lot of prospect feedback so that we are watching trends on where we think the industry is going. And, and so that's how we match those together as we make decisions today. Got it. I know you touched on this earlier in, in your answer, but give us kind of a comprehensive view of what Architect is today and you know what the business stands for, not just you know within the industry, but you know what I think is fairly unique is how the business is fairly ingrained in the community as well, which I think starts from you. Yeah. So I think our shift, it didn't just start with, hey, we're going to be a product leader. And it didn't just start with, we're going to serve larger clients. And it didn't just start with, we're going to grow. It started with changing our purpose statement, changing who we were as an organization. So we, we changed our purpose statement to be, we're here to make great things happen for other people. And when we approach everything in our business through that lens, 
then we need to start asking ourselves questions like, if we're not a product leader, are we making great things happen for our clients? If we're not investing in our community, are we making great things happen for the people around us? If we're not hiring the best talent that we can and growing them, are we doing the best, you know, making great things happen for our team? So that shift in purpose statement is the real pivot point for our organization and everything else flows from that. Um, and it's still the lens with which we make our decisions today. So we never start with what's going to make us money. We start with what's going to make our clients successful. What's going to make our team successful? How are we making great things happen for the, the people around us? And that's how we make decisions on what we do with our products, what we do in serving our clients, what we do in serving our team and our community. Got it. And I feel like a lot of businesses say that, right? And, you know, there's obviously a fewer number of businesses that are actually able to execute on that kind of vision. What do you think differentiates, you know, the businesses, you know, that perhaps have that kind of messaging versus the businesses like Architect that, that's able to execute on that? Because that, that's something that, you know, needs to be driven top down to an extent, I feel. Yeah. I, and I think that all comes down with, I've got to be the one that believes at first. It's all gonna, it's all going to, you know, kind of be espoused from 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 my standpoint. People have to see that it's a passion of mine, and it has to be real. And then it it really comes down to hiring the right people. So we always say we hire heart over resume. We hire what you can't train over what you can train. And, and heart and passion and desire and who a person is, is, is the first thing that we really look at. And even today, I meet every single person that we hire before we make the offer because I wanna know that I connect with them. I want them to hear what I believe is important. And I think when you hire right and you hire on heart, then people really believe you know, where you're going. They see your passion for where you're headed and then you can give them a lot of the autonomy that they that they desire to do well and be successful and and kind of your my biggest job is get out of their way most of the time hire really great people and and give them the autonomy to feel like they're they're running their show um and if you do that if you give people that trust and autonomy they they usually show up even more than than you would would hope um and, and definitely more than if I were directing and telling them what to do. And I think that's one of the, one of the things in, in, in not just saying what you believe, but in actually living it out is having, and that's, I think, a struggle with most entrepreneurs is, is having the humility to step back and understand that people can do things better than you. And so when you tell people your vision for the, for the future and, and for your industry and your team and, and your community, they hire you hire them because they believe in that and they're passionate about it as well. You have two choices. Now you can either you know handcuff them and, and let them know that it was all fake, or you can really give them the rope to run and execute on, on the vision that you got them excited about. And that is the most liberating thing you can do as a business owner, but it's also one of the most challenging things you can do because most entrepreneurs and business owners are OCD, they're perfectionists. I don't want to believe anybody can do it better than them. And that was a struggle for me as, as we grew in, in being able to turn things over. Um, but it's been the most rewarding thing I've done as well. For sure. I, I think it's an evolution that, you know, especially as you 
you know, let's say past like 20, 30 employees and, and you really start to not interact with every employee on a daily or weekly basis, it's a lot harder to, to make that transition. You know, you, you talk a lot about passion and obviously you kind of, to an, I don't want to say forced into this business, but it's kind of all you've ever known. What, what got you excited about this particular business? And was there any point in time where you were considering other options um, or other career paths, if you will, uh, versus kind of taking over the business? Yeah, so I actually started out my collegiate career uh, in uh, pre-med. And so, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd wanted to be a doctor my whole life. And, um, and then I just, you know, something wasn't quite fitting for me uh, there in that pursuit. And so um, I started changing uh, my major to business, really started realizing, hey, that's, that's actually something I'm interested in. And then I started working in the company and I really was attracted to this entrepreneurial can-do attitude. If we see an opportunity in the market, there's no bureaucracy to go through. Just make it happen. And I, I love that agility. So that's something that I think has, been, has made us successful as we've grown is never letting that die. I always say when, when we hire people today, I say we're a 33-year-old startup because we, we run with the agility of a startup. And when we launch a new product, we give people ownership. We don't try to fold it into a bureaucracy. We, we have it its own life, right? So it has ownership. Now there's oversight so that we're all collectively, you know, serving our client base really well and not siloed and, and having a lot of red tape. But I, I give people ownership. I believe that focus will win every time. And so the more focus we can give anything that we do, you know, that's, I think, dependent on its success. So it's that agility, it's that seeing opportunity, make it happen, get rid of red tape, hire people that, that want to work that way um, and that aren't fighting for power and, and ladder climbing. I mean, those things are hard to do, but when you do them, your company just runs so much better. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, one of the reasons that we've been able to hire, we've grown our company 10% through this uh, pandemic. We've launched three new products this year alone because we're running with that type of agility and optimism for the future. And we don't see a setback like this pandemic. We, we don't think in terms of quarterly earnings. We think every decision we make is, is 10 years out. We look at a, a bullish optimism for the next decade and make decisions today. And that's why we've been hiring through this, this pandemic and putting out products that we think can help our clients. That's incredible. And, and, and let's dive deeper into that. Obviously, you know, early last year, it, you invested in, in a fairly large office, I'm sure with the idea of, you know, growing substantially kind of locally. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit, got to move remote, I'm assuming. And, and you know, you know, who knows what happens to a lot of community banks, right? And so tell me more about what was that entire transition like? And, you know, both from a customer perspective and an internal perspective, how did he adopt to that? Seems like you've handled it really well. Well, when we, when we put out our browser-based uh, platform for the wealth management and industry, we made the same decision internally. We said, if, if, if we believe this enough to, to put it in front of our clients, then we need to believe it enough 
to be what we use. So we moved at that time all of our all of our tools to browser-based tools. And so we were really able to seamlessly be in the office one day and working remotely the next without uh, you know skipping a beat. It, it was, you know, just give you some me some okay, we just invested quite a bit in a new building and, and moving into the heart of our downtown and our community. And now we're all remote. So what does that look like? And I, I think as the pandemic has gone on, my my faith has has just grown more and more that we weren't created to be purely digital beings. I, I really think we thrive off of interaction and, and relationship and fellowship. So while some dynamics might change and, and, and work might be a little more flexible, I don't personally believe that fully remote is, is the future for all time. I think we're going to be back uh, working together and, and collaborating together. And I think that's where a lot of the best innovations will come from. So I, I'm, I'm bullish on, on getting back in, into an office and getting life uh, back to normal. And I, and I also look forward to that from a, from a community engagement perspective and, and from a philanthropic perspective. So we're moving right into the heart of downtown, as I said. We give every single one of our employees 40 hours of philanthropic time every single year, and that's on top of their PTO, to do whatever they're interested in, in giving back to the community. Um, and we're also looking at ways uh, by being downtown that, that we can uh, impact the community in a, in a greater way than, than now when we're kind of more out in the suburbs. I, I'm always excited to see what our team does with their philanthropic time on their own. But I'm, we're also, as a company, looking at initiatives of, um, you know, now, now that we have this financial planning software, how can we use that for, you know, enhancing financial literacy in our community? We're looking at starting a nonprofit. How can we help rehabilitate some of the, the, ta uh, the houses in the downtown area that, that are close to us so that, you know, we are living out what we say we're here to do, make great things happen for other people. I want our team, by the actions we take and the initiatives that we start, to know that that's not a saying, that it's, it's something we believe in. And it's why we believe we're in business, quite honestly. We're, we're, we're not here just to make money. Um, we're here to help other people be successful and grow. I, I guess I would say, if you follow Simon Sinek, we're probably you'd categorize us in that infinite, you know, company mindset. We think we're here to help people and that doesn't have an end life on it. Totally. Tell me more about the acquisition now. I mean, you know, that, that also happened in 2019 and I'm sure a lot of the work coming through in 2020. Um, you mentioned, you alluded to the financial planning software, which I'm assuming is MoneyTree. How did that kind of come about and how do you see that fitting in with the core business, if you will, at Akitech. Yeah, so we, again, look at, looking at trends that we were seeing within our client base and listening to our clients and, and the struggles that they were trying to overcome. One of those was, uh, you know, the next generation taking assets somewhere else once the money was transferred. And we're in the midst of the largest transfer of wealth um, that we've ever seen. And we're seeing statistics that show 70 to 80% of the next generation takes the money somewhere else. And we're seeing that play out with our client base. So we really felt like 
financial planning was a tool that would allow our clients uh, that had uh, in trust departments would allow our clients to not take the relationship for granted with the next generation, but would give them a tool to meet with that next generation and say, you know, I want to build a relationship with you because I know that you have hopes, dreams, and desires once you inherit this money. And I want to earn your trust, not just take it for granted that I'll have your business uh, when the patriarchs pass. So that was really one initiative that we saw that worked in, in the wealth management space uh, for our trust accounting clients. But we're also really excited about serving our traditional advisor clients uh, of MoneyTree because we think that we can bring the same level of, of velocity and innovation to our, the MoneyTree products that we've brought to our Cheetah wealth management platform. We think that can help them, you know, our advisor clients grow their business. We think we're bringing a culture to this space that's unique. Um, and so we're excited about how we can serve our clients on, on, in wealth and in financial planning equally just by the philosophies that we bring to business. Got it. I'm, I'm curious to learn more about, you know, this is obviously a family run business. You just acquired a company. How did you work from an integration perspective? Like, were there any cultural challenges? Um, tell me more about that process, because I'm assuming that, you know, philosophically, you know, th there must have been some differences or at least, um, you know, just some sort of adjustment period um, to the extent that, you know, pre-acquisition, it, it, it would have been tough to filter and foresee everything, given that it's also, I'm assuming, your first acquisition. Sure. And it, and it was. And, you know, Money Tree was headquartered in Oregon. We're headquartered in Indiana. Um, so you, you've got some probably cultural differences just by geography alone. And we knew that that would be something that was really important to this integration being successful. You know, one thing that I do with every hire that we make is I'll spend, uh, you know, six to eight hours with, with them in their first week talking about our culture, talking about what's important to us, letting them know why things are important to us, why we run the business the way that we do. So I had spent quite a bit of time in Oregon, you know, before the acquisition. Um, and then after the acquisition, I went out there and I treated them as if they were all new hires. And I went through that same process with all of them to let them know what the culture was at AccuTech and that, um, you know, this acquisition was was a good thing for them, was, was bringing them into an organization that, that, that cares about them, cares about their clients. Um, and, and so we were able to navigate those things. And, and um, I, I'm really proud of the team that we have uh, uh, out in Oregon and, and on the Money Tree products. Um, we've folded in, you know, some, some folks from, from Accutech that are in Indiana and they're working really well together. So it's been a really solid transition for us but culture was definitely key to making that happen. That's awesome. And love the way you committed time to each individual on the incoming team to make sure that the transition went as smoothly as possible. Switching gears a bit, I want to get your take on, on the industry overall. Obviously, there's a lot of noise around fintech, around technology relating to banking. Let's take it back to kind of where Accutech operates at its core you know, when it comes to trust accounting, wealth management, what is the incumbent 
that you're battling against. And then tell me more about how do you see that evolving when you think about the value chain of activities that, you know, you have today and, and perhaps want to be, you know, let's say five years from now. Yeah, well, again, as, as I stated earlier, we saw that this industry had really lagged in innovation for, for a long time, and we felt like we were the right company to step in and fill that void. It's why we built our Cheetah Wealth Management Platform to really bring this industry into the future as the most modern tech stack available. It's, it's what's allowed us to compete with large global companies like SEI, SSNC, and FIS Global. And we're growing because clients are beginning to see that they need to modernize their technology in order to compete and thrive both today and, and into the future. Again, back to kind of our entrepreneurial spirit of seeing things that need to be fixed and, and fixing it and, and, not, and, and always thinking about doing the right thing for the client. And that's led us to innovate and, and really start thinking beyond wealth management. So it's the reason that when we acquired MoneyTree, we didn't just say, well, I guess those you know, traditional advisors need to find another home because we just bought it for wealth management. We said, no, we really, we think we can bring a lot of good to that advisor space as well. And so we've you know, hired out a team so that that is running and, and very self-sufficient and has initiatives around how to be the best in that space. It's how we're viewing ourselves, not just as a wealth management company or a trust accounting software company, but we're really building out a wealth management ecosystem. So we acquired MoneyTree financial planning software. This year, we, we launched a data analytics platform called Insights, which allows our clients to have more readily available you know, data so they can take action, run a more management by exception company, be more agile. Everyone is trying to do more with less. And so this data analytics platform allows for so much of that to happen and just allows our clients to make better decisions with data that they didn't have access to previously. We launched uh, through this pandemic, we've seen people, as you mentioned, working in a remote environment. Well, what does that mean for banks? Banks were already experiencing less foot traffic, right? They were already experiencing people starting to move to a digital banking uh, world and banks need to find ways to adapt and keep pace with, with that technology and those advances. So we launched a digital account opening platform to help our clients be able to grow their business even if they can't meet with their prospect in person if they're not there to sign paperwork and it's the first it's the first digital account opening platform that's that's able to open a trust account fully remotely there aren't many times now in 2020 that you can say you've done a first right and so that's a that's a first um, and we're excited about that because it, allow, it, it allows us to lean into our purpose and say, our clients are struggling during this, this pandemic. How are we going to make great things happen for them? If we saw ourselves as a trust accounting software company, we wouldn't have done it. But we see ourselves in, as, a, as a company that needs to create solutions to help our clients. 
So that's why we, we launched our, our digital account opening uh, platform uh, called Open Digital. And then when we talk about community, we are very philanthropically minded as a company and our team knows that. But we really understand that if you look at, at banking uh, historically, they were seen as you know, the hub of, of, of the good and things that happened in a community. And we feel like that's starting to be lost a little bit. And as, as people move to digital banking, you know, our question is how do we keep, how do we help community banks remain relevant? How do we help community banks really continue to impact their communities? We've been working on an initiative and, and, and just launched a white labeled crowdfunding platform uh, for community banks built for community banks and credit unions. And it's called FiCrowd. And our vision for that product is to once again, allow community banks to be seen as the philanthropic hub of their city to be seen as you know, something that, that the city's proud of, a, a company the city's really proud of that um, is helping and not just, not just another business. So those, again, looking at the foot traffic decline, looking at the struggles and trends that we're seeing with, with the, the traditional banks, those are solutions that we've created that are outside of core trust accounting, but we believe really help our clients and, and will help them gain competitive advantage and, and stay relevant and thrive in this new digital era. Totally. I, I mean, you know, just learning about the ecosystem that you're, you're building, it's almost as if you're building like the Shopify for community banks, right? Where you're digitizing a lot of their products or, or their core functionality, um, essentially helping, you know, the way Shopify helps retailers move online, you're helping community banks move online. So I, I love that idea. I guess, you know, how do you see community banks playing a different role versus some of the larger banks? Because I think there's obviously the underlying challenge across the entire industry. And you, you get at this, I think, and you mentioned the philanthropic side, um, kind of building that local relationship with the community. You know, how sustainable is that when you compare it to kind of larger platforms where you see payment platforms kind of taking up more space, becoming fairly ubiquitous uh, across, you know, countries, if not the world. Um, you, you see, you know, larger banks being able to invest millions of dollars in, into creating a digital platform that theoretically can serve anyone. How do you see community banks from a digital perspective playing in that and then architects role in terms of powering digital banks? in that or community banks rather in that transition well i think that you know you hit the nail on the head there community banks are going to need to rely on software providers like accutech to keep them relevant uh, your large global banks that they might be building these things on their own and they might have you know the focus and the the the, the funds to do that but community banks are not software companies. And I believe that's where Accutech steps in and says, you know, it's our job to keep you relevant. It's our job to create solutions that compete with what the large global banks are doing. Um, because we see a need for community banks. We see, I think there will always be a preference for a certain segment of any population that says, 
I just want to work with the person that I trust, that my kid goes to school with, that I go to church with, that, you know, whatever it is that says there's a trust factor there that is really important. And I think that's a, a space that the large global banks will have a hard time playing in. And I think the community bank can play there really well and has that advantage, but they can't take that advantage for granted and not keep up with technology. So they have to adopt the technology that will compete with what other banks are creating. And this is our charge. This is These are the things that, that we see as, as, as our, our spot to help them and facilitate their growth. It's why we invested in Cheetah when you know, most, most systems on the market are just putting a, a, a web front end on old technology. We wrote from the ground up because we knew it was the right thing to do. It's more expensive, but it was, it was better for our clients. You know, it's why we're, we launched Open Digital and to, to allow people to open accounts remotely. And then I think FiCrowd is really interesting in terms of that community bank space too, because it allows them to be seen as the philanthropic hub of their city. And when you match that with, I know someone in the community, I trust that person, and I value what they bring to this city, I think that's a really powerful combination that, that helps you, you know, stave off those large players um, and, and gives an alternative to someone that simply wants to do banking on their phone and, and doesn't care about any of the other things. Totally. And, and you know, just to go deeper there, you know, you mentioned opening an account digitally, you mentioned crowdfunding. Um, there's obviously the financial planning piece. What are some of the other gaps that you see that you think Axdef will fill in the future? Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but I know that my best way to combat against not having a crystal ball is to hire really talented people. Um, and, and so we have a charge uh, out there with, with everybody that we hire. We, we tell you know, everybody from our, our support team to our relationship management team to our product team, you're all in the research department because every conversation we have with a client, every conversation we have with a prospect, everything that we read going on in the world, we have to look at it through the view and the lens of what do we need to be doing in light of this information that will help our clients. I don't necessarily have the answer with, I know the three things the world is missing. I think we've, we've just launched three things that, that we feel are major trends that we've been seeing. And the next trends that we will address, I think I'm confident our team will uncover through listening to our clients and understanding what they feel they need to succeed in the future. Got it. And, you know, love the fact that you're, you're kind of placing it on the employees as well as the relationship with the customer to kind of drive that roadmap. Obviously, there's a lot of competition in, in this space. If you think about fintech overall, and as you broaden your product suite, I'm sure you're going to come across a lot more competition. But that said, I think Architect's been at this a lot longer than most for AP data back for the past 30 years. What do you think that architect understands about the fintech space that you know most other companies who are entering this market don't well at some at some level there's you know there's no secret sauce to to business uh, at some point it's simply how well do you listen to your clients how well do you hire the right people and i think those two things sound easy but 
when you're growing and you need to fill a spot, it's really tempting to just hire candidates based on their resume. And so we've, we've made a commitment with our team and we ask for a commitment back that says we will, you know, we'll delay a hire to make sure we get the right person. And that might mean that we all work a little bit longer when we've got that need to fill, but getting the right person is, is so much more important than just filling a seat. I think when, when FinTech companies are in er, entering growth mode or when they get an influx of cash through a venture capital firm, I think the tempting thing to do is just go hire, 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 build, 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 and it's easy to lose sight of the culture. So I think a focus on culture and always having that be your baseline of why you're going to be successful is, is really important. And then I think, you know, as I said earlier, starting the conversation, not with how are we going to grow, but how are we going to help our clients grow? Those, those are just two areas that I think have helped us be successful over, over the long term. How do you balance the patience to grow almost as if you're, you're going methodically, more or less, you know, really picking the areas that, that you go after hiring carefully versus, you know, to your point, the Silicon Valley approach, let's call it, of putting in a lot of cash, hiring quickly, building quickly. And, you know, if a couple of things break along the way, fine. But, you know, trying to grab as much of the market as possible, successful or not, like, what are your thoughts on essentially the opposite of what, what you're saying to an extent. And, and, and what I'm saying doesn't come without challenge. I, I'm a personality type. I want everything done yesterday perfectly, right? So uh, yeah. it is a struggle to, to stay on this path because it's, it's hard to stay on this path. But I also can sleep at night um, because I know that we're building things that are reliable and we're building things and, and creating solutions that are helping people. And I'm giving an opportunity and an environment where people can, can work and enjoy not only what they do, but who they work with. So I think the high level of trust that we have in our organization is a satisfaction unto itself, um, knowing that we're looking 10 years out. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to sell. I'm not positioning the company to sell. I'm not saying we've got to grow this much in three to five years. And, and if some stuff breaks along the way, and if we have some, some bad apples in the, on the team along the way, it doesn't matter because my end goal is known. I want to build something that I want to be a part of 20 years from now. And so you just think differently. And so as you're more methodical about your growth, um, I also feel like we're stronger with our growth. And I feel like we've got longer term sustainability because of the way we're approaching it. Sometimes that might mean we won't grow as fast as we could, but I feel like we're growing the right way. And when we do things the right way, what we oftentimes find is the growth comes faster than you expected too. Totally. I think, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. Well, when you say growing the right way, I think uh, a lot harder than it sounds, but definitely the better way to go about things. Um, I want to wrap things up with one question that we asked all of our guests a bit more on your personal leadership side. So, uh, you know, curious to get your thoughts here. You know, what skill or mindset of yours do you find the most difficult to transfer to even the most talented members of your team? Uh, perfectionism. <laughs> and, and perfectionism can be good and bad, I, I believe. So, you know, I, you, when you own a company, when you've 
when you've had a, a legacy building in your family uh, over, you know, now to the second generation, I think you have to approach business under with the understanding that no one will ever treat your baby like you will. Right. So it's hard for me not to hold people to the same level of expectation that I have, because that might not be realistic. But hiring is really important. Um, and you have to find people that believe in your vision and they're passionate about the reason your company exists. So if you can, what I've learned is that no one's ever going to care as much as I care. And if I can help them understand why I believe the company exists and that's something they're passionate about, then I don't have to, you know, push for uh, good work or push for dedication because I've given them two things that inherently are core to who they are as people. And so they, you know, really want to make great things happen for other people and, and do the best work they can, help our team, help our community, help our clients. And those are things I wouldn't be able to instill in them anyways. So I think laying out your vision of where you're going and getting people excited about that and laying out who you are and why you exist and finding that they have a passion for that as well. That's the best way for all the things that I can't transfer to someone you know, a lot of times it's what's already in them. You just need to give them the avenue to, to explore that and let it flourish. Awesome. I, I mean, you know, this has been an incredible conversation. Love the way you approach the business, your leadership style, and, and, you know, definitely think that you're setting up not just your team, but also the communities that you're in via your customers for success. So definitely excited to see where Architect goes and, you know, excited to see how, how you change the market. I think you're definitely onto something and, and, you know, the platform is there and, you know, the market is very unique. So uh, definitely look forward to staying in touch and, and seeing where you go. Great. Thanks, Suthan. I appreciate you having me on today. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. You've been listening to the Vertical Software Podcast. Make sure to rate and subscribe our show to stay up to date on future episodes of the Vertical Software Podcast. Thanks again and talk to you next week.